Good evening. Good to see everybody. It really is. Good to see so many have come back together this evening. Hope all the mothers so far have had a good Mother's Day. But it's great to be here today. This is the Lord's Day, and that's wonderful. We're going to finish our series this evening on a guide to help decide. And what we've done during this particular series is we've tried to look at how God has provided guidance for us through his word to be able to make the right decisions in situations where we might not have the specifics, this is right or that's wrong, spelled out for us directly in scripture. And we've talked about how we, we face a lot of those decisions. Now we have some very direct instructions as to what God wants us to do and wants us to stay away from, but we, are, we meet some particular circumstances where we look in the scriptures and there's no specific on that, but what we've tried to bring out is that's okay because God has given us general guidelines to guide us in these situations to make the right decision. And so we continually have to make decisions as to behavior and conduct. We want to stay true to our Christian character. We want to live the righteous life. But again, sometimes we're faced with decisions that are kind of look like they're kind of on the border. Okay, should I do this? Should I go there? Should I be with these people or should I not? And what would, you know, what should I do along this line? What would God want me to do? Now, again, as Christians, we want to be Christian all the time. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, first in verse 13, he says, you're the salt of the earth. And what he means there by that particular characterization is that, that we're supposed to be a seasoning influence for good upon the world around us, including the people around us. Now, first and foremost would be our family members, but also upon people we work with, neighbors, go to school with, and even upon our brothers and sisters in Christ as we come together as the church. We're supposed to be a seasoning influence, a positive seasoning influence for good and for godliness upon the world around us, upon all the people around us. And so we want to live up to that responsibility and instruction. But how do we decide sometimes? What would be the, re the best thing to do? What if the boss comes up to us at work one day and he says, I want you to do such and such. And we think in our minds, I'm not sure I can do that. I'm not sure that's the right thing to do. Or what if, what if our, our employer comes up and he says, we're going to have a, we're going to have a big party related to such and such and, and there's going to be drinking and dancing and everything and, and you know, you're expected to be there. Well, what do we do in that circumstance? You know, we don't have a, thus saith the Lord one way or the other necessarily, but we have principles that God has provided us in scripture and that's what we've been looking at. We can't just depend upon our feelings because feelings regularly lead us in the wrong direction. And I'm talking about people in general. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 19, for out of the heart, he's talking about feelings, proceed evil thoughts, evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. So sometimes we can feel like a particular decision is the right decision, 
but then we find out later, well, we made the wrong decision. So we need something more objective to guide us. I've tried, in, over many years of teaching and preaching, I've talked about the difference between subjective feelings and objective facts. And so when we talk about faith, a lot of people will say you're just, that's just subjective. It's a, it, it's a blind leap in the dark. You don't really have any objective reasoning behind your subjective faith. And they're absolutely wrong. They need to get into the scriptures too. Because the Hebrews 11 and verse 1 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so faith comes by hearing. I'm sorry, that's, that's Romans 10 and verse 17. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. So we develop our faith and we grow in our faith based upon God's word. And then Hebrews 11 and verse 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is not just a wild blind leap in the dark. It is based upon substance and evidence coming back to God's word. And somebody might say, well, yeah, but God's word, that's, yeah, that's just made up stuff anyway. That's fanciful, you know, writing. That's myth and everything. No, when you If somebody, again, objectively looks into God's word, he finds out that it is repeatedly and regularly corroborated by historical accounts and and, 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 uh, uh, geological accounts, archaeological accounts. Continually, it is verified as being absolutely true, absolutely true. So we need to not just, just act upon our feelings, because we make a lot of mistakes. How many people have ended up in jail because they did something that felt right or felt like they were compelled compelled to do that at that particular moment in time and they did something that was criminal and they ended up in jail? Or how many people have gotten into violent altercations because of a feeling, they simply reacted on their emotions? Well, those are just examples of what we're trying to get across when we're talking about how do we make these decisions when the particular is not spelled out specifically in scripture. So we've studied five general principles so far, and we'll look at the sixth one this evening. Five general principles that I have labeled as a guide to help decide. And these are general principles that God has given us so that we can say, okay, here is a decision I'm being faced with, I've got to make a decision on this. What should I do? It's not one of those, thus saith the Lord, here or there, yes or no, but I'm I'm torn. I'm not sure. What should I do? And so God has given us these guidelines. First, Colossians 3 and verse 17, we said, can I do this in the name of the Lord? Because as a Christian, I wear the name of my Lord all the time, wherever I am, day in, day out, all day long. Can I do this and honor that name? Second, we looked at 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31. Can I do this to the glory of God? Bottom line, as a Christian, we ought to be living to God's glory all the time, the best we, to the best we can. So can I do this and still live a life that will glorify God in this action? Third, we looked at Proverbs chapter 10, verses 22 through 25. Can I ask God's blessings upon this decision? And the last few verses in Romans chapter 14 talks about that too. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So can I have confidence that what I'm doing 
is okay with God, that, that God will bless me during this? Can I ask God's blessing upon this decision? Pray to him and say, please bless me as I take this particular direction in life. Number four, we looked at 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. Will this, if I do this, now maybe again, and Paul addresses this in three different lengthy texts uh, as to making a decision, but thinking about, and he says, this decision is fine. It's a good, we have, we have, the, we have uh, the, the right to go ahead and do this. And we looked, we, we particularly focused on 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and there it was eating meat that had been offered to idols that we buy in the marketplace, and then we simply eat it as food. He says, that's fine because an idol is nothing, and so we can do that. But if our doing that in the presence of a weaker brother who has just come out of the practice of idol worship and has for his whole life or her whole life bought that meat in the marketplace that had been offered to idols and then considers the eating of that meat a religious experience to that idol, then seeing you do that, though you know that an idol is nothing and there's nothing wrong with that, that might cause them to stumble. So can I, can I do this or will I do this? Will my doing this be an unnecessary stumbling block to others? Something that I don't, I don't need to do because I need to be considered, considered of somebody else. And then the last one we looked at was Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. What are the potential consequences of my doing this? If I take this action, and we talked about also Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15, walk circumspectly, carefully, thoughtfully, thinking ahead of time, continually, what, what are the potential consequences of my doing this? Will this result in a good positive result or might it cause some problems? Might it cause me problems? So this evening, we're going to look at the final one that I'm bringing out. Now, you might be able to think of some others, some other general principles. Uh, these, when I first started putting this study together some time back, I think I just listed three different ones. And then I've come to add three more to them, and this is the final one. Number six, what, or would you want to be doing this when Jesus came back at judgment? You remember, and I don't know how many years ago it was, 30 years ago or so, it got to be, you know, people started wearing wristbands and they started printing it on, on ballpoint pens and, and you see it all over the place. What would Jesus do? And so that was supposed to generate in our minds some self-reflection, some self-examination. Okay, here, I, am I going to do this? Am I going to go there? Am I going to take part? Of, what would Jesus do? And it was, it was meant to cause us to stop and think before we took that action and ask ourselves, would this be something Jesus would want me to do? Well, it's, it's expressed a little bit differently here. Would you want to be doing this when the Lord returns for judgment? Because he's coming back. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, the Apostle Paul wrote in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that we, in partaking of the supper, we proclaim his death until he comes again. And so 
sometimes we might not think about how important it is for us to partake of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week, but in doing so, we are remembering, memorializing Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection for us. But we're also in partaking of that supper, that action is shouting out to the world around us, he's coming back. And it also helps us remember he's coming back. So would you want to be doing this when the Lord returns on that final day of judgment? Now, as adults, we could probably stop and think back about some particular situation in our life when we were younger and starting to grow up and we were doing something and all of a sudden mama or daddy walked in on us. And that was an old no moment. I remember one time I was out late at night. I was supposed to be back home by a certain time. And I was way past that time. And that was before I started driving. So I'm walking down the streets in Chicago and the worst sight almost that could have, I could have come up, uh, up in front of was my dad walking down that sidewalk looking for me. That was an oh no moment for me. We've all had those, haven't we? Well, the worst could be if the Lord came again when I was doing something I should not be doing. So let's think about that. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 44. Therefore you also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. I did not expect my dad to be walking down that sidewalk coming looking for me as I was walking back home. And I wasn't that far away from home at that time either. I'd almost made it, but not quite. Well, what if we're doing something that is compromising our, our commitment, our dedication, our conscience, and that was the moment the Lord came back? It's a good thought, isn't it? Again, one of those general principles. So what, is, what does it say in Matthew 24 and verse 44? Be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Think about the ultimate potential consequences of where you allow yourself to be. What you are taking part in if the Lord were to come back at that particular moment. What you're involved in, what you're doing, who you're with, whatever place you might have put yourself in at that particular time. In verses 36 through 44, the text goes on. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Remember when the apostles asked Jesus if he were going to restore the kingdom at such and such time, two different times they asked him and both times he said, that's uh, not for you to know. I don't even know, only my father in heaven knows when that day will be. So we don't know, but of that day and hour, no one knows and not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, now look at this. And this is something we can relate to. As the days of Noah were, 
Remember some months ago, we went through a study of the Genesis flood in Noah's day as a faith reassuring and building study. As the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the son of man. Hmm. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage, all the things that we see going on around us all the time right now. Until that day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Well, then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one taken and the other left. Watch therefore. Now again, all the regular things we see going on around us all the time, every day, common things. Two men will be working, two women will be doing their thing. And then, but, but what happened on that day? What happened on that day? The flood came and it was cataclysmic and it was sudden. Even though Noah, I believe we were to understand, had been teaching people, reaching out to them, at least trying to tell them, listen, God is bringing judgment upon mankind. And that was for a a hundred or so years he was trying to get that message across as he and his sons were building the ark. But nobody listened, nobody paid attention. But here's the, the message from our Lord. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming, but you know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, well, if we knew if a thief was coming to break into our house, we would get ready, wouldn't we? And we'd be ready. He would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Jesus is coming one day. And people can deny that, they can kind of push it off and you know, to the side, they can kind of push it back in their mind, they can try to just say, oh, everything's going on. Peter, even, even in Peter's day, in the first century, when he wrote 2 Peter ch- chapter three, and you read through the first eight verses there, even in that day, people were already discounting the coming of the Lord for the final day of judgment. They were scoffers, as he puts it in that particular text. And they were saying, look, sun goes down, the sun comes up every morning, everything's going on every day, just like it always has. What are you talking about? Jesus is coming again. Why hasn't he come yet if he's coming again? Well, imagine those people in Noah's day and Noah trying to tell them, look, the world is wicked. Humanity is wicked. You need to repent. The Lord God is going to bring a flood upon us in judgment. But nobody listened. And so that day when the flood finally came, everybody was doing their regular thing. They were already, they were always doing, marrying, getting married, doing their whatever it was they did every day on a normal basis. And then everything changed. Everything changed. Well, That's the way it's going to be, Jesus said, when he comes again. People are going to be going on about their normal routines, thinking everything's just normal. Everything's going on like it does every day. And then he will suddenly appear. 
and call us all to account and everything will change. We need to always be ready for the Lord will, it will come in that final day of judgment and we need to recognize that and keep that in our minds in the forefront of our minds, really. First Thessalonians chapter five, beginning with verse one. But concerning the times of the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now that's not to put a negative connotation in associating it with thievery. It's just saying at a time we don't expect, at a time we don't expect as a thief in the night. I remember one time many years ago now, my wife and I had been out on a trip. We came back, drove into the garage and every cabinet, we have quite a number of cabinets in our garage, every door was open, looked strange. We walked into the house, every drawer in the house of every, every dresser or chest of drawers was open. The front door had been smashed open and then closed back so it wouldn't look like from the street that anything had been done to it. We'd been burglarized. We'd been burglarized. We didn't expect that to happen. It was a shock when we saw it. Just arriving back. That's the sense that Jesus is trying to get across, that Paul is trying to get across. The day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. We could think about all kinds of all of a sudden cataclysmic happenings that change things for us in an instant. We wake up in the night and a fire has broken out in the house. Or something, we get a phone call and a loved one has been killed in a car accident. You see, the examples can go on and on and they can happen suddenly and things change. That's, that's the sense that Jesus and Paul are trying to get across. The son of man comes as a thief in the night at a time when you don't expect. So how, what's the answer to that? What's our response to that? What should it be? I need to be ready for the Lord to come right now. Right now, every day, every right now. And it'll be cataclysmic for those of this world who are unprepared for him to come on that day. In verses four through six, the text goes on and says, but you brethren are not in darkness. Paul's writing this to Christians. He says, you're not in darkness. This is not something that, that is veiled from you or hidden from you so that the day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of day. In other words, you've, you are Christians. You've been forgiven. You're in Christ. We are not of the night or of darkness. We walk in the light, in other words, the light of God's word. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Be ready, in other words. As sure as is physical death for us, the Hebrews writer says, just as sure will be the final day of judgment. Now, verse nine of, of that, that previous text, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so 2 Peter chapter three, beginning with verse 10. 
The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Now these are statements of reality and we could say impending reality for the whole world and everybody in it because this is God's word. He says these things are going to happen. That day is coming. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Do we want to be living a holy, godly life when the Lord does come again? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. When that day dawns or when that moment comes, and the clouds split and the Lord, we hear the trumpet and the Lord appears, there'll be no more time to get ready. So Jesus says, Paul says, the Hebrews writer says, we need to be ready all the time, all the time. Hebrews 9, 27, and as it is appointed to men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So will we die physically? Yes unless the Lord comes again first. Will there be judgment that we will face after death on that appointed day? Yes, we will all stand before our Lord in judgment. So we know those days are coming and so we have today to be ready for that day to come because it could be today. Now I know people have said that, for generations, for nearly 2,000 years. But Peter addressed that way back then. And he said, look, he said in verse 9 of 2 Peter chapter 3, you know, answering the scoffers, well, when's he going to come? Why should we believe he's coming? He says, you know, that God is long-suffering toward us, patient with us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he's trying to say, God is giving you time right now to get ready and to stay ready for that day because that day is coming. God has appointed that day. Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day, appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. And that's going to be the standard in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. And he identifies who that man will be with the next statement. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So we know that that's going to be our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we will all, none of us will be exempt. We will all give account for how we have lived our lives standing before our Lord on that day when he comes again. Romans 2 and verse 6 who will render to each one according to his deeds, according to his deeds. So I'm not going to have to answer for my father, my mother, my brother, my sister, my work associate, my neighbor, anybody else. And none of them can answer for me. I will have to stand before my Lord myself and give an account of how I have lived my life. 
2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may, give, may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Hebrews 4 and verse 13, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And ignorance will be no excuse. Second Thessalonians chapter one, beginning with verse seven, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, ignorance is no excuse. And on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what do you want to be doing? How do you want to be living? What do you want to be taking part in when Jesus comes back on that final day of judgment and calls you to stand before him or calls each one of us to stand before him? God has given us these general principles in his word as guidelines. And I simply have referred to them as a guide to help decide to make the right decisions. So, can I do this in the name of the Lord, wearing the name of Christ as I take part in this? Can I do this to the glory of God? Can I continue to live in my life in a way that is bringing glory to God while taking part in whatever this is that I might be contemplating? Can I ask God's blessing upon this decision, upon me as I take part in whatever it is I'm thinking about? Will this be an unnecessary stumbling block to somebody else? Even though I might say, well, I have liberty to do this scripturally. But could somebody who does not have the depth of faith that I might have, could that be, still be a stumbling block for them? Do I need to be more concerned, more conscious, conscious of them and help them grow in their depth of knowledge of God's word? What are the potential consequences of my doing this? Let me look down the road and see what this decision might lead to farther down the line. And then, as we talked about this evening, would you want to be doing this? Would I want to be doing this when the Lord returns on that final day of judgment? These are really common sense principles that we always ought to consider in making decisions that may pertain to our staying faithful and just before God or maybe crossing the line in the other direction. I think they're good principles. I think they make sense. And I think we see scriptural support for them. If you're here this evening needing to change your life in some way? Do you need to repent of something in your life? Do you need to take a, a, a shift in the way you have been living? Don't, don't be so embarrassed, so proud that you say, well, I, I'm not, I can't do that. I'm not gonna do that. I'm not ready. Look, again, the Lord's coming one day. Be ready today for that day. God wants to forgive you. He wants to receive you back. 
we'd love to pray with you and for you. Or maybe you're at the point where you say, I know I need to be baptized for the remission of my sins, but you know, I, I'm gonna get some things straight first. You can't get things straight without getting things straight. That's a pivotal step in your life to getting your life straightened out. We'd love to help you with that. If you need to study some more, just ask us. We'll study with you. We're going to sing the invitation song. If you need to come, won't you come right now as we stand and sing?